And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, we talked about real manhood, about what men, according to God's Word, should be. So today, we're going to talk about a little bit of womanology, about what the Bible says about women, about the power of, in fact, we've given that the title of our message this morning, the title is The Power of a Godly Woman. Women, uh, oftentimes, what we're going to study today is ripped out of context and it's made to say things that it doesn't actually say, such as women are morally inferior to men, that a woman always has to listen to any man, regardless of if what he says is moral or immoral, legal or illegal. So we're going to just really dive in to see what the power of a godly woman is. But before we do that... um, Let me give you a statement, guys. This is a little bit of carryover from last week. Uh, One of my professors, Leo Purser, said, Leadership is not about perks, but it is about service and responsibility. If you are in leadership primarily for benefits, you are not a true leader. And ladies, what we studied last week is that God has appointed the man to lead the family. What that does not mean is that the man is, in a sense, a tyrant and a dictator, and the wife and the children are a doormat. That's not what the text says. In fact, what we're going to look at is husbands are supposed to literally lay down their lives for their wife and for their children. So there's such a passion here that a biblical man not only says, I'm prepared to take the bullet for my wife, but I'm going to love her in a tender, compassionate, cherishing way. If she needs to talk, I will listen to her. If she is sick, I will make sure that she gets well. It is an absolute sacrifice on the part of the man Everything that he is, everything that he owns to give for his family. So, what we're not talking about here today is a woman who is inferior morally or intellectually to a man, but literally the woman following the godly leadership, the self-sacrifice of a godly man so that God can be glorified within the marriage. So let's go ahead and and begin to read there um, in verse 22 in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. The Bible does say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now let's stop right here. In context, that means what is going on within the world of the Bible. Let's back up just a few verses there in verse verse number 18. Here's an imperative. It's a command. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And we learned several weeks ago that the word debauchery here means what you do when your mind is absent. Some people are the mean drunk. Alright, ever been around one of those? Some people are the funny drunk. Other people are the generous drunk. I had a great uncle like that. He would get drunk, he would give away uh, money that his family would need to buy necessities. So, it's saying that, that don't get drunk because when you get drunk, you do things that do not glorify God. And then it says, but be filled with what? Be filled with the capital S, with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then in verse number 19, it says to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are commands. These are participles. Continuous action. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
And then always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, verse 21, submitting to what? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So going all the way back to verse 18, what God is saying is, you know what guys? Don't get drunk. Can we all just say that's probably a good way to live your life? Amen. You know, it's just not not go down the path of, of alcoholism. And, and by the way, if you are struggling with that here this morning, I'll be around afterwards. We can get you help. We will pray that God will free you from that. There are steps that you can take if you are. And many people today they can carry on a life of drunkenness and still carry a job, still provide for the family, but they are so in chains to drink. And we pray that God, if that's you today, that the Holy Spirit will free you. Do you guys believe that can happen? I do. I believe that the Holy Spirit can break the chains of drunkenness and alcoholism. But it's almost like some people say, well, if I stop drinking, then I'm okay. Well, notice that the Bible says, once you stop this, fill your life with the Lord. And notice how it starts out back in verse number 19, to simply address another with basically Scripture. So what it's saying is, express the Word of God and communicate the Word of God to each other. That means that just pray, be thankful for that, and then notice what it says. It builds. It gets more difficult in verse 20. Giving thanks for everything. Now let's stop. Isn't it easy sometimes to give thanks for the, quote, good times in life? You know, it's sometimes it's easy that when good things so... so <laughs> Some people say, these are good things. Well, I'm happy that this good thing, I'm happy that I got the raise. I'm happy that my child graduated. I'm happy, you know, that my husband remembered our anniversary this year, you know, like those things. But it says to give thanks in everything. Now, why would the Bible say give thanks in everything? Well, because God is in control. Amen, church? And if God is in control, even when things are not fun, when things are going badly, I'm still, by giving thanks, saying, God, I realize that you're the one in control and not me. And then notice it gets even more difficult in verse 21. First, we're supposed to speak the Word of God. Verse 19, to express the Word, to speak the Word, to share the Gospel. Then we're supposed to give thanks in everything. That's a little bit harder, isn't it? And then in verse 21, oh, I'm supposed to submit to one another. That means that in the context of a marriage or a church, guess what it's not about? It's not about this guy. You ever heard that uh, saying, it's not about you? This is the first opening to Rick Warren's uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. And if a person, if you're here this morning and life is all about you, you will never have joy. You will never have the peace of God. Because in this world, can we ever control everything perfectly? You could take a, a control freak. You could take somebody who thinks that they can tr- control the whole world, but it can never, ever be done. So what the text is doing is saying, when we submit to one another, saying, you know what? It doesn't have to be my way. If there's, you know, if, if there's someone else who does a different style of music, or if there's someone who walks down the aisle differently, if there's somebody who wears a suit, doesn't wear a suit, you know, it doesn't have to be about me and my desires. Submitting to one another. So the question is, is the way that we operate our lives as believers and as a church, mutual submission to one another, or is it my way or the highway? And by the way, um, I, 
there are always people when it's my way or the highway, but do you ever notice how those people are avoided by other people? You, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that if it's always got to be about me, then people might be around us to be nice, but they're not really going to want to be around us. And, and what the Bible's saying is, is develop the character of Christ. Not that we compromise on truth. Right, church? We never compromise on truth, but on things that really don't matter. So you know what? It doesn't have to be about me. So it's just the, the Christ follower here. And then when you come to verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. What it is, it's a daily execution of our old way of life. That means that every day that we follow Christ even more, we are saying, God, it doesn't have to be about me. Now notice how it progresses there in verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his himself its Savior. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now verse 25, so that we take it in context. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now right there, Jesus gave His life for the church. Jesus was literally brutalized and killed. That is the extent of His love. So what the Bible is saying, ladies, is that the imperative for your husband is that he should love you with a love that says, you know what, honey, if it means me never being able to be, quote, happy, I want to protect you and love you and treat you as valuable. And it says he gave himself up for her in verse 26, that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Guys, we learned last week that we should take the role, we should take the leadership in the family, or if you're uh, dating here this morning, you're not married, the guy should take leadership and say, you know what, we need to pray together. I want to pray for you. Let's open up the Word of God and let's study it together. You say, now Jeff, my husband, my boyfriend has never done that. If you're not married yet, it's probably a good time to reevaluate whether you should be in the relationship. But if you're married, you are married. Alright? Marriage, when you, when you get married, you take marriage what? Marriage vows. And those are vows to God and to that person and to everyone else who is there. So when a person is in the context of a marriage and you ladies are saying, Jeff, man, my, my husband has never really ever even prayed in front of me. We're going to look at some steps today that you can pray for him that he'll begin to take that leadership. Now in verse number 27, so that he might present to the church, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy without blemish. The meaning here is very simple and that when Jesus did his work on the cross, he did it so that we would be like him, that we would learn to love him and we will be less like we used to be. Don't you wish sometimes you could get into a time machine and go back to yourself when you were in middle school or high school? Those of you who are older, like myself. And you could go back and you, you, you saw what you got mad at. You saw how you were so cool and you really weren't. And you could kind of go back and say, grow up, right? You, you know, you go back to back when you're fifth and sixth grade and you're just so immature. You just want to go back and kind of slap yourself around and, you know, beat yourself and say, what are you doing? The picture is that Jesus Christ has died and risen again so that we would learn to be like Him and less like we were before. In verse 28, here's the application of the guys. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So the meaning here is that guys should in a marriage treat their wives with such respect and such honor and such sweetness that they don't treat the girls like another dude. Alright? Now guys, usually for us, we treat each other rather rough, don't we? Guys, the way that guys communicate with each other is usually verbal and or physical abuse. We wrestle each other, we hit each other, we cut each other down, but it's all in good fun. It's guy stuff. But where guys have to understand, the Bible says, not Jeff, the Bible says that the husband should nourish and cherish and love with tenderness, and that doesn't, in the context here, have anything, guys, to do with sex. It means to treat them as something that is valuable and precious and unique in the way men that we talk to the women, the way that we treat them physically, the way that we treat them emotionally, the ways that we can give them signals as to say, shut up, without having to say something like that. It's everything in our demeanor that we do, we should treat the women with honor. And all the women of God's church said, Amen. That's what, that's in the, by the way, that's in the Bible. We all okay with that? Alright? That's not just, I did. that comes from the Bible. So where a lot of guys get messed up, guys are like, well, Jeff, man, I've been married for seven years and all of a sudden she's like telling me I don't love her. I told her I loved her when I married her. And, you know, I, I told her then. I haven't gone back on my word, but it's like, dudes, they need confirmation. And all the ladies said... Amen. Some people express and give love differently. Some people, you give them a gift and they're just, oh, that's so great. Some people, if you speak a word of encouragement to them, they're just like, they're just so encouraged. And they're like, that was awesome. Some people, if you, I, I mean, if you write them a card and note, say, I appreciate you for your character. They just love that. So what we're going to, by the way, about half of this message is going to be um, context and theology. That means what's actually going on in the Bible. So for our OCD note takers, don't freak out on me. All right. Basically, we're going to do about half of what we're doing now, and then we're going to run through those application steps. But in verse 30, it says of Ephesians chapter 5, because we are members of his body. That's why Christ cherishes and nourishes us as the church. So the context here is that a man should love his wife. And this is going to happen, guys, with the way that we communicate. Just say, how do you understand? What do? What is it that I do or don't do that makes you feel loved or unloved? Men, we're not very good at expressing. And all the women once again said... Amen. Some guys are. Most guys are not. Alright? This is where a husband and a wife or someone who is seriously dating or their courtship or they're engaged saying, you know what, honey, I need you to tell me, girls, ladies, we're just plain dumb. This is straight from the horse's mouth. Guys need this. Say, what is it that I do or don't do that makes you feel, as the Bible says, nourished or treated as something special and valuable. And when you tell us, then we know how to do that. 
And in verse 31, this is where we learned last week, ladies, that if a guy does um, is not in a way where he's trying to get a job or, or be prepared to where he can provide for you, it says in verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his what? Father and mother, and uh, hold fast or be um, connected with his wife. It means that you got to kind of cut that umbilical cord of finances, right? If his mom and dad are still paying for the dates, it's probably not going to go anywhere until he gets a job. And then in verse number um 31 as well, and the two shall become one flesh. The point of marriage is that you take two people and they come together for the glory of God and then from that children are born to the glory of God. And in verse 32, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, here's the application. Let each one of you, speaking to guys, love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ladies, today, the few minutes that we have left, and by the way, those of you who know how long I normally preach know that that is a totally meaningless statement in the few minutes that we have left. But what we're going to do is dig in here and see the power of a godly woman when she respects her husband. Now, ladies, let me just give this to you right out of the starting gate. The number one need that any man has is to be respected. For example... Men should tell their wives many times, as often as they can, I love you. They should show their wives. And once again, guys, there's not really much in the passage except for verse number 31 that refers to sex. This is not trying to be sweet so that you can get action. Y'all okay? It's not saying that you do this in order to get something from her. But literally, you love her as Christ loved the church, and out from that, there will be a mutual love back and forth that will culminate in physical union. But, in verse 33, the number one need, ladies, that your husband needs, or your man, if you're dating, is respect. And here's what that basically looks like. That you appreciate him for who he is. And notice that it says there in the text that a husband should love his wife as himself. That means that, guys, women need Love. Men also obviously need love, and women need respect, but the man desires deep within his heart, and most guys will never say this, but the Bible does, is that a man needs to know that his woman thinks that he is, capital T, capital M, the man. Now, I'm not going to ask for a witness of the guys, but we all know it's the little things a woman, like, wow, that was amazing. You are so strong. Even if he's not strong, ladies, you can, like, you know, somehow rationalize something. Like, just build him up to let him know that you think he is something. And we're going to break that down in just a moment. But before we do that, at this point in our culture, people say, now, Jeff, I know where this is going. This is going back to Genesis chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, you're exactly right. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, get a little background. And in Genesis chapter 2, here's what happened uh, down around verse 18. First book in the Bible, second chapter, verse 18. God had created Adam and He created the animals. Adam named the animals, which is pretty cool. 
Um, the word, by the way, and this is kind of random, but I think it ties in. The word for bird is oof, which kind of sounds like if you've ever been by a bird and heard their wings, oof, oof. That's, it's very, very cool. So Adam was able to name the animals, all right? In verse 18, here's what God said. This is awesome. It is not good that man should be alone. Now stop right there. You know that any man who is alone for a certain amount of time will probably get into some trouble. He'll build something that doesn't work. He'll get into something that he shouldn't be in. He will get into trouble. So notice what God said. It's not good for him to be alone, so I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, when the Bible says a helper, you know what most of us think of? We think of jobs... Like maybe you got a plumber, and the plumber's helper does all of the dirty work that the plumber doesn't want to do and get pays less, right? Or, or, or you've got someone who cuts grass, and they have their helper who does the work that they would rather not do. Or you've got someone in business, and they say, well, here's my helper, which is my gopher, my slave, my servant, who I pay as little as I can, and I get as much work up out of as I possibly can. Here is what the word means. The word in Hebrew is ezer, and it means help or assistance, the act of supplying what is needed to another. And here's what I think is really cool. There were several names in the Old Testament that were based from this Hebrew word. One was uh, Azarel, which means God has helped. Azrael, my help is God. Azariah, the Lord has helped. And also Ebenezer, which is my stone of help. This word is used um, in uh, the, the Greek translation in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, your helper. So God is referred to as the Helper. In Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come from? Verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, isn't that kind of cool, ladies? That the word for helper is used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to God helping Israel. So it's like if God is not there to help Israel, they're seriously in deep water. Let me just go ahead and say most men, if it were not for women to there be there to help them, would be in deep water. And all the women wisely have not given Muay Thai elbows to their husbands here yet. Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Exodus chapter 18, verse 4. And the name of the other, Eleazar, which literally means God is help. The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So what you see in the Bible, when you see the word helper, it doesn't mean your minimum wage slave, but it means someone who complements the man so that they are complete in every way. If you wanted to get modern about it, you could say a vital component in life is the woman. 
The woman is there to provide what the man does not have. So they're in the beginning. And go back to Genesis chapter 2. You've got God. And He says in verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what He would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was His name. That must have been cool, right? Adam naming all of the animal groups. And then in verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. That means he's there in a zoo, right? Like he's there, he's got, you know, the hippopotamus. I don't plural hippopotami. I'm not really sure. But then he's got, you know, the dogs. He's got the giraffes and like all of these animals. But animals are cool, right? I mean, animals are fun to, fed, to pet and to feed. But man... They're not there as your soulmate. Because if you think about when you've got a relationship with a dog or a cat, or if you're a fish person, it means you're a very low-maintenance type of person. You know, with that animal, the relationship has to be what the animal understands, right? Students, if you ever go into your dog and ask for help with algebra, it doesn't work very well. But if you pick up a stick or pick up your gun or pick up a ball, that dog understands it is on the dog's level. So there's Adam and he doesn't have someone that he can live life with and communicate with. And here's what happened there in verse 20 um, or verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And when he slept, God took one of his ribs. And literally the word here um, in verse 22 is the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man. He made, literally the word is built, God built a woman. He built and made Eve. And that's why the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So here is Eve coming down from the hand of God and Adam looks at her and says, whoa, man. I mean, he is absolute, did y'all get that? Okay, alright, just neighbor, like that was, okay. He was there and absolutely blown away. And the word in Hebrew for man is ish. I-S-H. And the word for woman, this is so cool to me, is isha. Right? Ish, man, isha. Out of man came woman. And it is there in the garden that everything is perfect. Ladies, there was no competition. None. And for Adam, he had it made. But then we know in the perfection of the garden, there was the fall. When Eve was tempted by the serpent, Adam was passive. Eve was gullible. The curse brought brutal labor for the man. God's like, dudes, you're going to have to, by the sweat of your brow, by literally pouring out your life's blood in labor. And some of you men, you work Hard. You work long. You understand what that means. You can look down at your hands and see the cuts and the scars. You can look on your back and see how your skin is so leathery from working in the sun. Some of you have more desk jobs and you got big old glasses because you're losing your eyesight. Some of you you, you, you work and you work and you work and you work. And you're like, man, I'm working so much for my wife and my kids. But it seems sometimes it's so hard to make the finances even out. That's one of the curses from the fall. That men would bear the brunt of the labor. But ladies, when sin entered into the world, 
one of the curses for the women was pain in childbirth, and the other was the tendency, please hear this, ladies, the tendency towards manipulation. It says, you shall desire, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And when you look through the Bible, you see how this perfect picture of a man and a woman walking together and serving God just begin to go into chaos. You've got in Genesis chapter 19, Lot. And these, these angels come and, and they're in the form of men. And, and you have a, a rabid gang of, of, of homosexual guys in Sodom who are bent on, and by the way, this is in the Bible, um, gang raping these two uh, men, these two messengers, these two angels. And here's what Lot does. He's like, he goes out the front of this house. He's like, guys, I'll give you my two virgin daughters. Now stop right there. Guys, if you had a mob outside your house that was bent upon sodomizing your two male guests, would you in your right mind say, okay, first option, give up my girls. Hopefully not. Amen? So that is the last thing. Over my dead body will that happen. But this shows how the view of women had deteriorated. You see... Uh, Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 20. His wife was very beautiful. They go to an area to where there's an army. There's a king. And he says, okay, if they ask you what... Talking to his wife. If they ask you what your relationship is to me, just tell them that you're my sister. Because if, if they see that you're my wife, then they may kill me and take you for themselves. You see women being treated poorly by men. All throughout the Bible. They didn't even take people like Jezebel and Ahab. They were, I mean, this was, this was like the Osborne slash Jerry Springer slash, I mean, who, it was just a jacked up couple. They actually worked well together, but they worked well to raise Cain. It was a terrible thing. And, and then, you know, you, you take in Genesis chapter 38, Judah, actually through the tribe of Judah, many prophecies were fulfilled. Here's what he does. He goes to a town and he sees this girl and she's got a veil on her face and that meant that she was a prostitute. He goes and he sleeps with her. Well, it just so happens, this is his niece. And it's like, oh my gosh, is this in the Bible? Yes. The Bible is very raw. And then they're, they're trying to figure out how he's going to pay. And she's got his ring, which is basically his checkbook. And it's just, it's crazy. Then you've got Jacob, who goes to a family murder. He sees the daughter and he tells the dad, I'll work for your daughter. And then the dad says, okay, you work for me seven years and I'll give you my daughter. On the wedding night, guess what the dad does? He does a bridal swap. And he switches out Leah for Rachel. And so in the morning, Jacob wakes up and who he thought was his beloved was another chick. And he's like, ah! And then he goes to Laban, he's like, what did you do? And then Laban's like, the dad's like, well, in our country, we always give away the older daughter before the younger, but you can work for me seven more years. Isn't that twisted, honestly? That is so twisted. But that's what happens when sin comes into the world. Women are treated as objects. And women say, okay, since the men treat me as an object, what I have to do is I have to try to manipulate the men to get what I want. So it's just all bad all around. And what happened in the Jewish world is Jewish men in the time of Jesus would actually get up in the morning. Here's what they would pray. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, which means a non-Jew. A dog or a woman? 
That'll bless you ladies, right? In Greek thought, women were basically not the same as men. In fact, um, Plato actually wrote this. He says, that part of the human race which is by nature, ladies, listen to this, which is by nature prone to secrecy and stealth on account of their weakness, meaning that you women are schemers. I mean the female sex, writes Plato, has been left without regulation by the legislature, and this is a great mistake. You know what he's saying? Is that, she, is that the government should prescribe laws to control the women because they're so sneaky, because they're so inferior, because they're so much weaker. That was the world in which Ephesians was given. Now, when you see verses in chapter 5, like, Husbands should love their wives and wives should lovingly submit to the leadership of their husbands. That All of this stuff we just talked about was what was going on in the ancient world. People thought the Christians were nuts. Say, now Jeff, what must I understand as a woman? Well, very quickly, number one, it's there in your notes. Moral equality of both men and women before God. Men and women are both created in the image of God. There is no inferiority, according to the Bible, of women. But there are also, secondly, different roles in the family. That means that if there's an intruder, that the husband should go meet the intruder head on and not say, wife, we've got a 50-50 deal. You took some karate classes at the Y. It's your turn. It means the dude is supposed to protect. Also, that motherhood is an incredible blessing. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3. And also, ladies must understand that your worth is not determined by what you wear. Often, um, there's a tendency for ladies to try to cover up some physical defect by buying certain types of clothes. Ladies, your worth before God is all based upon the grace of God. He loves you no matter what. He has died for you through His Son Jesus. So do not be deceived by what the world says that... You need to buy these clothes in order to make yourself actually valuable. In fact, a modest woman, a woman, we're not talking about a woman who wears skirts that drag the ground for 40 feet after her, alright? We're not talking that she has to wear a, uh, her neckline has to come above her chin. We're not saying that she has to wear a veil. But biblically, a godly woman has a duty towards God and towards her brothers in Christ not to dress in a way that would cause other men to look at her and assume that she is advertising. Also, your worth is not your relationship status. If you are here today, lady, and you are single, it does not mean that you are less of a woman or less important. It also means that if you are married, that it is all based upon the grace of God. Also, your worth is not determined, and all these Scriptures are there in your outline, by your physical appearance. Sometimes ladies will stop at the grocery store and they'll look at those magazines, at those women. By the way, you guys know those pictures aren't real? It's been altered. It's been fixed up. You can go on Google. You can go on YouTube and say, look up, you know, how to make, or whatever. I don't even know. But, but you, you, can, you can see very easily that the people that we see, we say, well, I'm not that. Ladies, you say, I'm not like her. I'm not as slim as her. I'm not as whatever attractive as her. Therefore, I have less worth in the eyes of God. It's simply a fallacy and it's a lie. And the question is, who decides what's beautiful anyway? You are a daughter of God and you have worth because of who has made you. 
You are a child of the King, and because of that, you have value in the eyes of God. And also, your power as a woman is all depending upon God's grace that's working inside of you. And God's grace, please hear this ladies, is not earned by good performance. That means that if you were raised in the home to where your father never affirmed you, and you've been married to a man who always cuts you down, that God is not like that. God accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. A few things about how to destroy your husband. If you want to destroy your husband, ladies, you belittle his manhood. That means in public you criticize him. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. That means that you will either cause him to be resentful towards you and to withdraw emotionally, or you will cause him to get very aggressive and begin to argue. Question, ladies, do you affirm your husband publicly or do you belittle him? Oh, you know, he's just... That will cut a man down to nothing. Secondly, to belittle his efforts. When a man tries, if he tries to take spiritual leadership, if he stumbles through the prayer, if he tries to say, I'm going to try to start taking you guys to church, and I'm going to try to start reading God's Word with you, but he doesn't really know what he's doing. If you criticize him, you will totally, when he's putting himself out there to be vulnerable, you will destroy the desire of the man to try to be the spiritual leader. Also, you can criticize him and his failures and problems. One thing that a man needs is a woman who comes beside him in the times of financial difficulty with, as 1 Peter chapter 3 says, a gentle and a quiet and a humble spirit that says, Honey, I am with you. I am there with you. Like the old country song, Stand by your man. Right? That song, that is what the Bible's saying. Some of y'all actually know that. Cool, I quote country songs all the time and y'all act like you don't listen to that. You like that one? Alright, cool. That's what a man needs. In verse 33, once again, ladies, if you can memorize this, it would be great to respect your husband. Next is to coddle him in his sin. That's a way that you can destroy your man. You see, now Jeff, my husband's a jerk. He's into all sorts of stuff he shouldn't be. What should I do? Go to him lovingly and humbly and confront him in his sin. Ask the, Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. But it needs to be done. And then finally, if you want to destroy your man, and this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-5, through 5, you can use sex as leverage, or you can deny it to him altogether. Ladies, here's the way that men work. Men, the way that we understand is that if, and this is just for married couples, within the context of a marriage, if a woman denies that to a man, we're not talking about there are certain times of physical problems or whatever, but just on a regular basis, I have denied this to you, I will not be physical with you. In a marriage relationship, the man assumes, I am not a man. I might as well go ahead and check out. And what that will drive the man to do, doesn't make an excuse for him, it will drive him into the arms of other people. And there are plenty of hooches around the United States. Can we be honest? Male and female who are more than willing to carry on an extramarital affair. So, I would encourage you to study 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So, here, very quickly before we close, here's how to make a man. Number one, follow his leadership. When it says submit to him, it means to follow him in sacrificing himself for you. That means that when he tries, just be, just say, that is awesome. You're trying. 
you've got a long way to go, honey, but you're trying. And I praise God for that. Say, so Jeff, what if he doesn't even follow Christ? Well, First Peter chapter 3, just respect him as your provider and your protector. Say, so you know what, honey? I know that you have been appointed by God as my provider and my protector, and I will honor you in that. I'm telling you what, when you respect a man like that, when you, you say, well, how do I respect him? Go to your notes once again. They're in verse 33 and also 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. When you build up his manhood, ladies, it's kind of like a dog. When your dog brings a dead carcass to you, the dog wants you to tell him that he's doing good, Right? When your husband goes out and you're like, why does he have to get up at 3 a.m. to go shoot a turkey? We can buy turkeys at the store. It's cheaper. And when he comes home, just affirm him in that. If he's a guy who enjoys working on things with his hands, go and you're like, I don't even know what that machine is. But like, wow, honey, that is so hot. You know how to work on engines. I mean, just affirm him in what he's doing. To praise his efforts. The fact that he's trying to take care of the family, say, honey, I know that work is hard right now, but I respect you for what you do. If a man can know that his wife respects what he does, whether that man, whether he is scrubs toilets, or whether he works in a big high-rise building as a CEO, if he knows that his wife says, wow, I respect you for going out there and taking it on the chin in the work world for me and the children, that man will be ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Do you know what I'm talking about? He will be ready to take on the world. And then women, if you can be there when he has failures and he has problems, you will win your man. Here's what Dr. Ted Trailer said about Sarah, the wife of Abraham. When Abraham buried her, he said Sarah was his partner when he failed, was his partner when he worshipped, was his partner when he rejoiced, and when his, was his partner even when he struggled. Oh, ladies, if you could realize the power, if you could just come alongside your man and say, you know what? I am for you. If you meet his physical needs, if you lovingly confront him in his sin with the power of the Holy Spirit, there is something that breaks down the walls of pride within a man's heart if he is lovingly cared for and prayed for by his wife. And then finally, you can go over to chapter 6, verse 18. And this all connects in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 18. It says, And praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer. That means, ladies, constantly pray for your husband. If you're here today and you are separated from your husband or if you're divorced, let the grace of God work in your life to pray that God would bring him to repentance if he's not. Let me say a couple words to the widows before we close. If you're here and you've had many years of marriage with your husband, you say, Jeff, what? This, this almost makes me want to relive all those memories. And say, you know, I used to remember we had all these good times together and now it's just quiet around the house. Here's something that you can do. And this goes back to the book of Titus. You can invest in the lives of younger women and sing your deceased husband's praise. Say, ladies, and even you're not married a perfect man. No, no woman has ever married a perfect man. Amen, ladies? You can come alongside the younger women and say, here are things that God has helped me through when my husband was not following Christ. Here are some things that you need to look for in a man who follows Christ. And when the older women come alongside the younger women, they begin to see God's greatness in providing what the Bible calls 
biblical marriage. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as, as we close. If you're here today and you've never... You say, Jeff, man, this has been interesting, you know, about the marriage thing, but, I mean, I, I really don't... It doesn't really apply to me very much because I don't even know where I'm going if I die today. I know that I have done things that have been wrong. I know that I need to get peace with God. and I just need to be changed. If, if that's you here today, I'm just, just right now, say, God... Just cry out to Him from your heart and, and trust Him. Say, God, I believe you. I'm trusting in you. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in your Son, Jesus. Would you save me, God? Just right now, commit to Him. And the Bible says that He who comes to me, this is God speaking, I will not cast out. And if you're here and, and that's you, we're going to begin to sing. If, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and you've committed to Him, we're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and, and walk down. And, and by doing that, you're saying, you know what, I am not ashamed of Christ. I'm ready to stand for Him. And if you're here, you say, man, Jeff, I'm ready to be baptized. I have been saved. I'm ready to be publicly baptized, follow Christ. We ask you to come. If you're here and you know that you need to join this church formally and just totally, we ask you to come. Father, would you just give us uh, courage, Would you give us wisdom during this time? And for the ones who need to make commitments to to you, would you give them the power? In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen.